2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Greetings, my
2: friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and
3: justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Ninety-one years ago yesterday, yesterday being Memorial Day, Ninety-one years ago yesterday, Fred Trump, Donald's dad, was arrested in New York City at a Ku Klux Klan riot. Yeah, he was uh, discharged. Fred Trump of 175-24 Devonshire Road, Jamaica, was uh, let, let out of jail or let out of being arrested. Um, uh, there's a a few other things in the news. One, one that I wanted to mention very quickly, and that is that the uh, California legislature, the California State Senate, actually, is going to vote today on a bill that would establish net neutrality as the law of the land in California. And much like California-led with uh, gasoline emissions and things like that on cars, uh, California may well end up leading on this. And if so, that would be really cool. So uh, if you live in California, it's uh, Senate Bill 822. If you, lived in Cal- if you live in California, call your state senator and let them know your thoughts on net neutrality. Now, all that said, I wrote an op-ed over the weekend that I sent off to Alternet. It hasn't yet shown up on their website, but I'm assuming it will shortly. And I just wanted to go through it with you. Um, there's some good news at the end of this, but it's gonna take a little while to get to that. Uh, but, but starting out, how do authoritarians take over a country? This is, this is an old playbook. It goes all the way back to, to ancient Rome. How authoritarians take over a country. And there are some very specific uh, actual steps in the process. Uh, FDR, in 1944, you've heard me play the clip on this show many times, he said, uh, uh, the opposition this year has already imported into this campaign a very interesting thing because it's foreign. They've imported the propaganda technique inve- invented by the dictators abroad. See, the first strategy for seizing and, and maintaining power, if you're an authoritarian, is to lie often and lie big. FDR says... Remember a number of years ago, there was a book, Mein Kampf, written by Hitler himself. The technique was all set out in Hitler's book and was copied by the aggressors of Italy and Japan. Creating that technique, you should never use a small falsehood, always a big one, for its very fantastic nature would make it more credible. If only you keep repeating it over and over and over again. George Lakoff points this out in his book, Don't Think of an Elephant. I pointed out in my book, Cracking the Code, if uh, you say to a little kid, don't run out in the street, In order to process that don't, they have to first process the run out in the street. They have to imagine running into the street and then kind of put a red X through it. You know, so so, you know, when you say don't think of an elephant, the first thing you have to think of is an elephant so that you can then not think of it. And so when Trump says uh, there's spies, the FBI put spies in my campaign, which would be a a mind boggling breach of of uh, the ethics of of the FBI and of law enforcement, uh, when he makes that accusation, when the newspapers and the, and, the, and the non-billionaire owned and controlled press push back on it and say, no, there's, there's no spy inside your campaign, there never was, uh, then you know, for people to understand that, they first have to imagine a spy in the campaign. And, and so this is one of the reasons why Trump lies so often and so big, is because those lies actually get him something. This is, this is why 48% of, of Republicans believe that more than 3 million illegal immigrants voted in the 2016 election, causing Hillary Clinton to have a popular vote total greater than Donald Trump's. 48% of Republicans believe that. More than half Republicans believe that climate change is a hoax. Uh, more, than, more than 70% of Republicans believe that the Republican tax scam was a giant tax cut for the middle class. Actually, the largest middle class tax cut in the history of the United States happened in the second excuse me, in the first year of the Obama administration. Uh, It's also why Republicans believe the tax cuts, uh, excuse me, that deregulating environmental and workplace protections leads to more jobs and more prosperity. All these things are lies. All of them have been repeated over and over and over again by Republicans, and all of them are now believed by, if not a, a majority, certainly plurality of Republican voters. Lying works, number one technique. Number two, consolidate your power, while you're challenging or co-opting the institutions that might hold you accountable. Now, there's a second piece to this, and that is humiliate and then bring into your orbit people on your side. This, uh, you know, intimidate your own allies into submissive servility. Uh, That, you know, so start out, you know, with the attacks. That judge was a Mexican. Uh, This is this uh, Robert Mueller's running a witch hunt. Congress doesn't have the authority to investigate Republicans, stuff like that. Right. And then when Corker and McCain and Flake come out and say, you know, this president does not speak for me. In fact, he does not reflect American values. Destroy them politically. None of these guys, while well, McCain is dying, uh, sadly, I mean, you know, he has brain cancer, uh, but uh, Flake and and uh, and Corker. Have both been pushed out of the Republican Party. They cannot, these are senators. I mean, being a senator is like a major job. It pays well, there's all kinds of perks, it's a big deal, and you can do some real good for your country if so inclined, or some real damage if you're a Republican. But Flake and Corker have been kicked out of the club because they dared to challenge Trump. It's not about Flake and Corker, it's about all the other Republicans who will now not challenge Trump because they don't want to end up like Flake and Corker. The second part of this is, I mean, this is the calling card of Tin Pot Dictators, by the way. The second part of this is to pack the courts. Mitch McConnell started this process when Barack Obama became president, denying him his court appointees over and over and over again, including Merrick Garland, his court appointee to the Supreme Court. But from literally the lowest courts to the highest courts, Mitch McConnell, for eight years, blocked uh, President Obama's nominations. Now, they are. They're not just pushing them through. They're blowing up the old blue slip rule, where a a senator from the state that the per, where the judge is going to be installed can say no. That I don't want that judge in my state, which was, by the way, one of the techniques that Mitch McConnell used to block so many of of Donald Trump of uh, excuse me Barack Obama's judges. But now, when Amy Klobuchar comes out and says, you know, I don't want these, you know, uh, you know, I don't want these guys in my state. Uh, uh, McConnell says, we're going to ignore your, not turn in your blue strip, we're gonna, just going to ignore the whole blue strip process. And then finally, uh, as part of this con- consolidating power while changing and co-oping the institutions, attacking the FBI, attacking the intelligence communities as, as partisan, as hustlers. And this whole mens rea thing, which is Latin for state of mind which says that basically, and this has been included in all of the prison reform, sentencing reform legislation, including the bipartisan stuff. Democrats have been buying this, have been falling for this basically. What the mens rea provision says is that you can't hold billionaires and CEOs accountable for decisions they make that lead to environmental destruction or death unless you can prove in a court of law that that was their goal, that they specifically made that decision because they wanted Johnny on the factory floor to die. When they decided that, you know, we're not going to use that safety equipment anymore, for example. You've got to draw that direct connection. In other words, no more perp walks. No more CEOs being held accountable. And then another tool for the authoritarians in this context, destroying the institutions of governance, is destroy the vote. You've got Kansas's Chris Kobach, KKK, Kansas's Chris Kobach's uh, interstate cross-check program, which has uh, thrown hundreds of thousands of African-American and Hispanic and Asian voters off the voting rolls. You have in Detroit, in the 2016 election, that Donald Trump won by 10,400 votes in Michigan. Over 75,000 people stood in line for hours in Detroit to vote. And the voting machines recorded no presidential votes for 75,000 people in Detroit. Largely black Detroit. The state. And, and, you know, had Trump lost Detroit, he would have lost Michigan. And had he lost Michigan, Hillary Clinton would be president right now. 75,000 voting machines said, nah, nobody pushed the president button. They pushed all the other buttons, Senate, state Senate, whatever, but not president. They stood in line all those hours because they didn't really care about who was president. So when you take all this stuff together, what you see is these deeply anti-democratic changes happening that many historians are just flipped out about. Okay, so That's number two. Number three, attack the press. Edmund Burke, Sir Edmund Burke, who I'm I'm no fan of. You know, he was a major British conservative during the era of the American Revolution. His one redeeming uh, virtue was that he supported the Revolution. But he did not support, for example, the right of people to vote unless they were, you know, landholders and wealthy. He coined the phrase, the fourth estate, in 1786. 1787, excuse me. And he coined that phrase as a way of saying you know that you know you've got the first three estates of government the the legislative branch the executive branch the judicial branch but there needs to be a fourth estate of governance to hold the first three accountable and that would be a free and independent press and every democracy since edmund burke coined that phrase in 1787 every democracy has included a provision protecting the free press but when tinpot dictators take over, whether it's Duterte in the Philippines or Erdogan in Turkey or Orban in Hungary, uh, you know, uh, what goes? The free press. Or what gets attacked? The free press. All these guys are screaming fake news. They're, they're following Trump. So says number three. I, no, as I recall, I'm, I don't have these numbers. I think this is number four. Vilify, vilify protesters, minorities, and political enemies to the point of provoking violence against them. Dwight Eisenhower warned that we should not become a nation of dreadful fear and hate. Right? One, of my great, one of my favorite qu- clips, great quote, it's from his farewell address in 1961, in, in uh, January of 1961. And he says, you know, that America should not become a nation of dreadful fear and hate. Well, that is what the Republican Party has become. And what they are fearing and hating are protesters. I, I write, we see it in institutionalized police violence against African Americans, on the part of our police across the United States against immigrants by ICE. We see it in excessive arrests and punishments for people protesting Trump's inauguration and in speeches. We see it in new laws punishing journalists for reporting on things like factory farms and environmental abuses. We see it in Trump's violence, violence-tinged violence rhetoric against Mexican rapists, using MS-13 as a rhetorical proxy for Hispanics, saying that NFL players hate and disrespect our flag, things like that. So we're up to four. I've got this list here that I compiled over the weekend. More after this.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. How democracies die. Stick around.
3: Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Okay, uh, the, uh, you know, I was mentioning using religion. This is one of the things that autocrats and authoritarians use is, is religion. And uh, there's this new project. Uh, it's called Project Blitz. This new this new organization that is like the uh, Catherine Stewart wrote about it in the New York Times this weekend, and uh, it's it's like a, a Christian version of Alec, you know, the Amer- American Legislative Exchange Council, where uh, you know, funded by the Koch brothers and others, that gets together lobbyists and legislators, state legislators, a couple times a year, and they and the lobbyists write legislation for their particular industries that they would like. And they give it to the legislators, and the legislators take it back to their particular state legislature and introduce it. Well, this is the same thing only for Christians. And uh, they've already uh, introduced over 70 pieces of state legislation based on uh, what so-called Christians want. Uh, The one in uh, Oklahoma, for example, allows uh, agencies that uh, participate in in, um, adoptions to discriminate in those adoptions based on race, gender, sex, religion, whatever you want. Um, In Minnesota, it's letting schools post, in God we trust signs in their classrooms, something the Supreme Court has already said you can't do. Um, 1786, Thomas Jefferson was living in France. He was our envoy to France. Madison had just put together the Constitution. Jefferson had demanded that there be a Bill of Rights attached to it and, in fact, wrote the First Amendment. And uh, then he sent, on August 13th of that year, 1786, he wrote this long letter to Judge uh, George Wythe, who was a, uh, a Virginia judge, and uh, he had been uh, one of Jefferson's teachers when he was a teenager. George Wythe had, you know, literally taught him law. He was a mentor and a teacher. And so uh, Jefferson writes him this letter and says, "Our act for freedom of religion is extreme." Now, keep in mind, this you know, David Barton is one of the guys behind this this uh, this new Project Blitz, which uh, he said he told you know he said, uh, uh, "quote." It's kind of like whack-a-mole for the other side. It'll drive them crazy that they'll have to divide their resources out in opposing this. In other words, they're going to throw so much legislation at so many state legislatures that something's going to slip through, right? So this is what Jefferson thought about people like David Barton and the the modern-day Republican Party. He's in France. Uh, The word in all the newspapers is about the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. And he says, Our act for freedom of religion is extremely applauded. The ambassadors and ministers of the several nations of Europe Residents at this court have asked of me copies of it to send to their sovereigns, and it is inserted at full length in several books now in the press, among others the new French encyclopedia. I think it will produce considerable good, even in these countries, where ignorance, superstition, poverty, and oppression of body and mind in every form are so firmly settled on the mass of the people that their redemption from them can never be hoped. If anyone thinks that kings, nobles, or priests are good conservators of the public happiness, send him here. It is the best school in the universe to cure him of that folly. He will see here with his own eyes that these descriptions of men are an abandoned confederacy against the happiness of the mass of the people. Jefferson went on to say that uh, the people of France have been loaded with misery by nobles and priests and by them alone. He continues in the article in, the, in his letter to George Wythe and then references Article I, Section 8 of the Constitution, which gives Congress the power to raise money by imposing taxes and use that money to provide for the general welfare of the people. And he says, preach, my dear sir, a crusade against ignorance. Establish and improve the law for common, educating the common people. Here's Jefferson calling for fully pub- paid public education. He's got to be looking at Bessie DeVos right now and rolling over in his grave. He said, let our countrymen know that the people alone can protect us against these evils and that the tax which will be paid for this purpose is not more than the thousandth part of what will be paid to kings, priests, and nobles who will rise up among us if we leave the people in ignorance. But it needs but half an eye to see when among them that the foundation is laid in their dispositions for the establishment of a despotism. He's talking about religion in France. Okay, next one. Co-opt and make institutions of military and police power into loyal syncopants. This is like creating your own Praetorian Guard. From attacking the NFL players who are protesting police violence against unarmed black people, to telling a crowd of police officers not to be professional or arrest people when, uh, when they're arresting them, to chest-thumping about our military as the most powerful ever. Trump doesn't even try to be subtle about these threats. The next step, if he follows this well-worn authoritarian path, will be to put on Saddam Hussein-style military parades in Washington, D.C., meanwhile as all this is going on the problem process that ronald reagan began and newt gingrich sped up in 1996 with his 1033 program of redirecting billions of dollars of military funds hardware and training to police departments begins the process of turning ordinary police agencies into praetorian guards to solidify the power of the now captured state and finally in that category exempting police unions from crackdowns on other government employee union activities like scott walker did in wisconsin speeds up the process of ensuring the loyalty of the one legally armed, duty-sworn agency of government, the police. The next, ignore competence and incompetence. Only loyalty matters. You know, people, even mainstream Republicans, I mean, you you see, you know, George Will on TV going, you know, Ben Carson running a major agency, really? Uh, you know, Betsy DeVos running a major agency, Wilbur Ross running a major agency, these people are not competent. And then you've got the guys like Ryan Zinke, Scott Pruitt, and Mick Mulvaney, who seem to be anti-competent. They're very good at getting things done, but what they're getting done is destroying the agencies that they're supposed to be running. How can this be? Well, really, what this is all about is shifting the power in America away from government protections for consumers, workers, and voters. And citizens and toward giving such power to the billionaire and corporate class and the key to the whole thing is loyalty. In in 2016 Trump introduced a raised arm loyalty oath in his campaign rallies in 2016 and Glenn Beck said on ABC television quote we all look at Adolf Hitler in 1940 we should begin to look at Hitler in 1929. Donald Trump is a dangerous man with the things he's been saying. That was Glenn Beck Trump's obsessive need for loyalty, the result of a lifetime of insecurity and unethical illegal business practices, are spreading through government institutions like the EPA and the Department of Defense, a fungus spreads through a bag of apples on a warm day. And then we see all these kiss-up, kick-down people, you know, from his uh, doctor to Ryan Zinke and the flag that Zinke requires being flying over, the, uh, over, the, uh, over his office. Next, foster a sense of helplessness among the opposition. Whether it's done with selective and brutal enforcement of the law, subtly shutting down access to the media, or outright infiltration, destroying the opposition is a key to seizing and holding authoritarian power. When I was a, when I was a teenager, it was you know Richard Nixon, and you know our our local Students for Democratic Society SDS chapter in, in East Lansing had been in, infiltrated uh, by both the Michigan State Police and the FBI. And the guy who was always yelling, kill the pigs, and burn down the rotzi building, he was one of the guys from the Michigan State Police Department. But it wasn't just the infiltration. We all knew that this guy was, was a cop, right? Or we all guessed it. But what happens is that the presence of the infiltrator disheartens everybody else, causes people not, want, not to want to join the organization. And, of course, at that time, I mean, this was 1968, JFK was murdered, MLK was murdered, RFK was murdered. The Panthers were being taken down, and other nonviolent groups. What that does is it disheartens the opposition. And then you look at, you know, the, the insane, you know, ten years in federal prison that over 200 people who were arrested during the Trump inauguration were all facing under a conspiracy to riot charge, ten-year felonies for going out in the streets and protesting Trump. This is this is how they do it in Turkey, right? This is how they do it in these in these authoritarian countries. Fear and a sense of powerlessness or re- resignation are two of an authoritarian regime's most powerful weapons. The next is, de- is uh, def- defeating neo-fascism, neo-authoritarianism, incorporate billionaire corruption. Well, this is this is the good news, right? This is this is where we get to the good news. I'm going to wrap up with this. There was an amazing study published by uh, Maria Stephan, who's the director of educational initiatives at the International Center on Nonviolent Confl- Conflict. And Erica Chenoweth, uh, assistant professor of government at Wesleyan University and a postdoc at Harvard. It's called Why Civil Resistance Works. It was published in 2008. And you know, I've talked before about Thorsten Veblen, you know, and this whole concept from about 100 years ago that there's this influencer class that's about 20% of the population, and if you can convince 20% of the population of something, then, that, then they become the ones who influence the rest of the population and it spreads through the population. Well, there may be some truth to that, but you know, we've all been working on this 20% model for literally my entire lifetime. Turns out the percentage of people that you need to not just convince but actually get to engage in action that is visible is 3.5%. If you can get 3.5% of the people to show up, to physically show up, you can flip an entire country and this is how the Koch brothers and their buddies flipped the the Republican party they got three and a half percent of americans that's that's a little that's about one point one million people right they got you know, well we've got three hundred million people roughly in the United States three um, percent of that no that would be nine million people wouldn't it yeah around ten million people I guess It'd be three percent ten million yeah ten million people so Oh geez, I've got to I've got to correct my article then. So if we if we can get ten million people active, then things change. If only three point five percent of the population engaged in peaceful, nonviolent, persistent protest. And by the way, nonviolence is effective fifty three percent of the time. Violence is only effective seven percent of the time. So. You know the, the 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 fact that nonviolence can be successful is a really really big deal, and one that that we need to take very very seriously. So anyhow, we'll pick up your calls on on your thoughts on this and, and everything else when we come back from the break. Stick around; it's uh, coming up on forty six minutes past the hour. It's the Tom Hartman program, occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. Yes, we are live, and uh, you know, back from Memorial Day holiday. We'll be back with uh, your calls. And more of the news of the day right after this. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent. On Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio and every U.S. military base in the world on your electronic device via TuneIn Progressive Voices in the Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television on Free Speech TV via the Dish Network, DirecTV, cable systems nationwide, and just this week. Free Speech TV also got added to Sling. If you're a cord cutter and you're getting your uh, getting your news from Sling, you can now see Free Speech TV there. On the line with us is Congressman Darren Soto. He represents the 9th district of Florida. He's a member of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. The website is Soto S O T O You can tweet him at Rep Darren D A R R E N Soto. Uh, Congressman, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me on the show, Tom.
3: Thanks for joining us. It's a, it's great having having you with us. Um, I, I'm curious your thoughts about these reports uh... it was just published this morning in fact in the washington post as i recall at least four thousand six hundred forty five people died as a result of hurricane maria and its devastation across puerto rico last year um, the official death toll is sixty four people harvard university says no it's four thousand six hundred puerto ricans american citizens died what the hell's going on here sir
0: well obviously shocking but not surprising we saw the death toll multiply by exponential amounts after Hurricane uh, Katrina in Louisiana. And we have been working at the Congressional Hispanic Caucus to get the exact number um, from the Commonwealth government, but they have been hesitant to include a lot of deaths that were included in the Harvard study, which I thought was well done. You know, they looked at the mortality rate of other time periods before Hurricane Maria and saw a 64% increase because of no electricity no hospitals for a period of time, no infrastructure. So there's a lot of people who died simply because they didn't have access to critical health care during that time period, and they do need to be included.
3: Yeah. Is it, why It seems to me like it's just either simple geographic and civic ignorance that most Americans don't realize Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. Um, and, and frankly, that we're not having a, a reasonable debate. I guarantee you, if the majority of Puerto Ricans voted Republican, the Republicans would be pushing statehood tomorrow morning, and it would probably happen. So, why, you know, why Why is it that... Uh, I'm hearing an echo coming back through your system. Um, yikes. Can you, can you pot that down, Sean? Is that uh, coming off the phone, coming through his phone?
0: Yeah,
3: I, I, I put it down. It's coming from something. Anyhow, um, I'm, I'm wondering why is it that that, uh, you know, how is Trump getting away with this? I mean, you know, after, after Katrina, you know, I mean, for a little while there, George W. Bush was kind of able to ignore the disaster simply because, you know, it was black people, you know, the racism in America. Is that what's going on? Is it, it's Hispanics? Well, I can tell you my home state of Florida, we got the
0: money we needed. Thank God for Hurricane Irma under Hurricane Harvey. We had Texas get them. But we have big delegations that are influential, but Puerto Rico's got one non-voting member. So the attitude was that, you know, people should be grateful in Puerto Rico to uh, get any funding from the federal government. And we saw that kind of attitude by the president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump. And we saw that with the Congress, making sure that they got $18.9 billion from a $90 billion disaster. So, this is where we see that second class citizenship status from lack of representation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Do you see any change coming as is, is the uh, congressional Hispanic caucus working on this? I mean, is there a movement for Puerto Rican statehood and, and is there any way to, to stimulate at least a conversation about why aren't we rebuilding Puerto Rico? We're rebuilding Afghanistan. We're re- rebuilding Iraq. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're going to start rebuilding North Korea. What about our own citizens in Puerto Rico? Well, certainly,
0: I was there for the plebiscite. A majority of people voted for statehood, and I came out afterwards for uh, statehood. uh, And I believe if they had representation in Congress and in the U.S. Senate, they wouldn't be so easily ignored. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have a lot of Democrats who are supportive, but some are commonwealthers. The Republicans have said they've been supportive for years, but they haven't lifted a finger to actually do something about statehood out of the obvious fear that there may be more Democratic members of Congress or Democratic U.S. senators. But even that's not a guarantee. The resident commissioner right now is a Republican. So, you know, we see through Hurricane Maria played out over the last nearly year, the shortfalls and problems of Puerto Rico not having equal status with equal representation uh, in that they've been ignored. And the only one of the only positive things that have come out is that before Hurricane Maria, about 25 percent of Americans knew um, my fellow Puerto Ricans are citizens, and now that figure is way over 50 uh, percent. Uh, so that's something we could build on, but certainly this is a classic example of the shortfalls of not having representation yeah, that's, in Washington.
3: That seems like a great stepping off point. We're talking with Congressman Darren Soto, representing the Ninth District of Florida. Uh, soto.house.gov is the website. His Twitter handle is Rep. Darren D A R R E N Soto S O T O. Congressman, the the uh, uh, there's been a lot of conversation um, back and forth, frankly, about the, this new policy and, and, and even how new the policy actually is of uh, tearing children from their parents at the border, uh, even, even parents who come uh, legally seeking asylum, having their children taken away. And then there's also this issue of these so-called missing 1,500 kids. Um, there was a fascinating uh, thread from uh, Josie Duffy, an immigration expert, and immigration lawyer who uh... this morning on twitter who was talking about how uh... stop talking about the fifteen hundred kids they're in the custody of health and human services which is a good thing that's uh... you know they're they're these are the people who look over look look out for kids and and just because and the only investigation that they did was making some phone calls they couldn't find all of them you know uh, cool let them let them find them but this is not the the time to panic about them particularly if all this panic and uproar causes ICE to get into the act, which is Department of Homeland Security instead of Health and Human Services. You don't want ICE and the cops looking for these kids because these kids are not U.S. citizens and they could end up being deported. Uh, that's the argument that, that uh, Josie Duffy is making. And on the other hand, you know, that we've got this serious issue of the ongoing tearing of children from their parents. Um, and, and Josie is suggesting these are two separate issues and should be discussed separately. Um, you're very knowledgeable about these issues. Uh, and 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 you know, I'm guessing the Congressional Hispanic Caucus is taking some serious positions on these. Uh, what what is this? You know, how do you think of this whole thing? Summarize all this for you, for us.
0: Well, they're related, but first it starts with uh, Attorney General Sessions making a policy change that they are going to deliberately separate uh, immigrant children as young as infants from their parents. That right. is now the official policy. Of the trump administration even though trump himself called it horrible but then somehow blamed it on the democrats which obviously makes no sense yeah i didn't now, know jeff sessions is, was a democrat yeah exactly and so the key is when we're talking about everything from caring for these kids to in the case of political refugee status asking a five-year-old or younger what is the foundational basis of their uh political asylum application it takes so many more resources the kids don't have the facts. They are separated from their parents, and um, and that's problematic by virtue of nurturing and by by virtue of morals. But also in that now the state has to care for them more because their parents aren't around to care for them. Right. Um, and so it, it undermines their ability for political refugee status because they don't have the facts. It requires more care on behalf of the U.S. government, and it's more – by far more inhumane than keeping them with their parents. And then afterwards, there's additional costs of reuniting the family should they be deported and finding out – and then from there – This helps create the genesis of this mess of lost kids, because now we're going to have even more kids under the care of the federal government. And last year, 1,500 of them, uh, the whereabouts which were lost, not to say that they were lost. They could be with family members. They were initially placed with someone who was associated with them. But it shows that the government isn't doing a good job of keeping track of them. And now they're going to implement this or have already implemented this cruel separation of infants, Snatching them from their parents, and it's admittedly as a deterrent factor. Uh, We saw General Kelly talk about that the other day. How this is this is there, and it'll discourage people from coming across the border, as if it wasn't because of economic and dangerous uh, threats to their lives that are that are are the reasons people are coming over. Uh, So it's cruel. We have put together a letter as of February. We're doing issue um, based calls to action in our district. We will be doing one this week. I know Joaquin Castro of Texas has talked about doing one and other members of the Congressional Spending Caucus. But so the overall issue is we have to change the separation issue. And from there it'll mean less kids in the system who then uh, will get lost and uh, in it in this track record that's been exposed from last year of the nearly fifteen
3: hundred kids is yeah. uh We we, we just have about forty forty five seconds left here before we hit a hard break. Um, uh, is this like the whole, you know, uh, 10 times the penalty for crack, for, uh, crack cocaine because mostly black people use it. Uh, you know, uh, that is this base, is this basically pandering to a racist base by the Trump administration in your opinion? Well, the hardline rhetoric, the separating of families, the
0: building of the wall, it's all focused on the Southern border, which is adjacent to Mexico for everybody who needs a geography lesson. So the proof is in the pudding on that one.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they're not talking about uh, you know going after Canadians. <laughs> I, haven't heard, I haven't heard that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, boy, those and they've maybe we sh- you know should go after the Canadians. They have free national health care system. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, Congressman Darren Soto, one of the good guys representing the 9th district of Florida, member of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Soto.house.gov is the website. Congressman, I hope you can come back someday and uh, perhaps take calls from our listeners and get to know us. You can count on it, Tom. Thanks so much. It's great meeting you. Rep. Darren Soto is his Twitter handle, D-A-R-R-E-N-S-O-T-O. Thank you, Congressman.
0: Thank you, Tom.
3: We'll
2: be back. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
3: We'll be checking in with Talk Media News in just a few minutes on all the events of the day. Stick around. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs. And if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X chair. The X chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X-chair. And the X-chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X-chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom T-H-O-M. or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, return it for a full refund. Order today and save $100 and get free shipping. If you go to XCHAIRTOM.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's XCHAIRTOM.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. XCHAIRTOM.com.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And in the studio with me is Jeff Cohen, the media critic and lecturer, founding director of the Park Center for Independent Media at Ithaca College, where he's associate professor of journalism, the author most recently of Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media, former senior producer with MSNBC's Phil Donahue program, founder of Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting Fair, and the co-founder of
1: RootsAction.com org Jeff, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. I just retired this month Seriously? from Ithaca College. yeah Wow. 10 years of being able to celebrate independent journalism. You know, my center was about independent media, non conglomerated media. Right. And I did it for 10 years, and it left me pretty healthy because, you know, the previous 15, uh, 20 years, I was just a media critic talking about what was going wrong with corporate media and conglomerated takeover of media. And so the last 10 years to be able to talk about the journalists who do it right, the journalists who see their job as public watchdogs, the journalists who comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I I mean, people say, God, you're younger now than when you, because when you're at fair, it's not a glamorous job, but you have to monitor Rush Limbaugh day after day and watch Fox news night after night. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that can give you indigestion (laughs) and health problems. So it's been 10 years at Ithaca college celebrating and teaching independent media. Mm -hmm. I do a class where we go into the history of independent dissenting media throughout U S history. Right and uh, so it's been exciting and we give away the award every year the Uh, Izzy Izzy. Award named after Izzy Stone, I.F. Stone, the legendary journalist uh, from the 50s, 60s, and 70s and we've given that award out to Amy Goodman, Naomi Klein uh, John Carlos Frey, Lee Fong just won it this year, Darja Male, who does climate change work uh, expose at Truthout, he was someone who shared the award this year. Jeremy Scahill, Glenn Greenwald's been to campus Uh, so it's, uh, it's been an exciting 10 years and much better than just being a critic of mainstream media.
3: That's great. I had a caller in the last hour who, who wanted to, uh, to praise Elon Musk for starting Pravda and using it to quote, hold journalists account accountable or words to that effect. And, and I was actually so offended by what Musk had said about the media and his, creating this uh, profit.com yeah. uh, website and everything, that uh, Louise and I had been planning for two years with the idea of getting the, the new low-end Tesla, you know, an mm-hmm. affordable Tesla. Our name has been on the list for two right. years. Uh, and we always figured, you know, when, when the, your name comes up, then you have to choose, right? And yeah. We'll look at our finances and we'll everything and decide. But uh, over the weekend, I called uh, Tesla and said, take my name off the list. And, yeah. and the, answer, the question was, why? And my answer was, uh, because it looks to me like Elon Musk is going after the media and I'm in the media and even if I wasn't I'd be offended by that and you know, my caller was like no wait a minute you want people holding the media accountable and I'm like I'm not sure I want a billionaire holding the media accountable right. and he's like well somebody's got to hold the media accountable and I said you know I think we can all hold the and then it occurred to yeah. me you started Fair, Fairness and Accuracy in reporting, which is all about keeping the media accountable. Right. Yeah. So who better than you to ask what's going on? Yeah, what I'm are not, your thoughts on this?
1: I am with you a hundred percent. I don't, I mean, the problem with the media is billionaires have been taking over. The problem with US politics is billionaires are taking over. We need to get working class and middle class people involved in journalism and involved in politics. And you say, tag, you're it. I mean, clearly the problem with our society is the billionaires. So. Uh, fair.org. If people want to see what real media criticism is, where these we have a staff that scrutinizes the media, documents it, does studies who gets to appear on TV and who doesn't, which think tanks are on the air and which aren't, uh, what's the race and gender and corporate or class orientation of the people that get on the air as experts day after day. Serious holding the media accountable is happening already. Right. Uh, if Elon Musk, Musk wants to get involved. Donate to Fair, right. uh, but Fair won't allow you to play any role in their media criticism. You hold the mainstream media accountable. Amy Goodman on Democracy Now holds the, Jenk uh, Uger and Anna Kasparian on The Young Turks hold the media accountable. Uh, no, I, I'm totally with you. The last thing we need is another billionaire holding the media accountable. Uh, they want to help. Donate to nonprofit news outlets. Right. Uh, that's the way to uh, make sure you're holding the corporate mainstream media accountable. Is donate to those nonprofit outlets or nonprofit organizations like Fair that do just that.
3: Well, and I would argue that the other thing that's that's would be probably pretty useful right now is is uh, a modern day Sherman Antitrust Act, of course, directed not just broadly. I mean, it needs to be broadly directed. There, virtually every industrial sector in the United States and 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 commercial sector in the United States has been monopsonized, You know, it's yep. it's down to three to five companies that control the entire sector. But media is one of those.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not rocket science. People ask me a lot when I do lectures, um, how do we get a more small-D democratic media system? It's not rocket science. You set up a public broadcasting system where they get permanent, insulated funding so the journalists aren't afraid that the right-wingers in Congress are going to shut off, and then public broadcasting can be something you can turn to to dig things up instead of our public broadcasting, which is so timid and conservative. You also break up the media monopolies. You also give... Uh, taxpayer money in a non ideological way, you subsidize journalism, right wing, left wing. You go to Norway, besides having powerful public broadcasting that really raises the level of information among the public, they subsidize websites and newspapers, whether right, left, or center. It's irrespective of ideology. So there's lots of ways of how do you set up a media system that isn't controlled by the billionaires or advertisers or, or corporate owners and a a media system that can foment democracy Uh, so we know how to do it the problem is that these media conglomerates are so powerful as lobby in their lobby operation i'm thinking of comcast i'm thinking of disney i'm thinking of murdoch i'm thinking of time warner they're so powerful that they've been able to take more and more power over the media system you've talked about this a lot since the reagan administration and a few companies have taken more and more opinion shaping power over the media it wasn't a natural process it wasn't something that was inevitable it was completely a corrupt process and people are always asking me rightfully about Sinclair Broadcast Group and this one company that owns a couple hundred TV broadcast stations across the country well thank Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich who worked together uh, behind closed doors both parties being funded by media conglomerates when they did the Tele- Telecommunications Act of 1996 prior to that act You could only own 12 TV stations across the country. And now Sinclair Broadcast, this right-wing pro-Trump outfit, has 200. That wasn't natural. That wasn't the result of, like, some pressure group or some big social movement. You know what's wrong with this country, Tom? We haven't allowed enough media power to go in the hands of fewer and fewer companies. You know, there's no one demanding it, no one calling for it publicly. And it keeps happening. A Clear Channel before the Telecommunications Act had a few dozen. And within a year or two, they had 1,200 radio stations. Right. So um, it's not a mis- you know—it's not rocket science. How would you, as you say, invoke antitrust, create true public broadcasting? We've never had that in our country, but you could go to Europe and see what public broadcasting can really do, mm-hmm. um, and and then allow public money to go to nonprofit outlets. Um, so it, it's easy to do. You just need to have a different political leadership. If, if, as long as the political leadership goes from the Republicans to, you know, the Clinton Democrats, there will never be this kind of uh, Democrat, small-D Democratic media system. We can't even get free airtime for candidates. Yeah, I mean, the reason the politicians have to go to the rich people and the corporations is for their ad money. Uh, but in other countries... Political ads are illegal. Everyone gets free airtime. Yeah. You can thank to a certain extent, the Supreme Court for that.
3: Jeff Cohen is what you can stick around for a little bit. Sure. Great. you got a, you got a movie to promote all kinds of cool stuff. We'll, we'll be right back with Jeff Cohen.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Jeff's website, by the way, JeffCohen.org. And the movie we're going to discuss when we come back from this break is AllGovernmentsLie.com. And welcome back, Jeff... Uh, We've talked about Sinclair, we've yeah. talked about the Izzy Award, um, and Elon Musk. What, and I don't want to get into the movie until we come back from the commercial break. Um, so, uh, you know, what are, what are the, some of the other issues that you're watching right now that have to do with the media? I, this piece that I, I wrote and submitted to Alternate this morning, I've got to do some little tweaks on it this afternoon, but um, is basically how authoritarian, uh, authoritarians rise to power. What specifically do they do? And I, I went through this list of, you know, uh, they lie often and big. They consolidate their power while cha- challenging and co-opting the institutions of accountability, which includes the media. Attack the press, vilify protesters, mo- minorities, and political enemies to the point of provoking violence against them. Scapegoat minority groups to rile up mob mentality. Elevate one religion that you can control and reward while trashing others. And uh, co op institutions of military and police power into into becoming loyal syncophants. Yep. Foster a sense of helplessness among the opposition with brutal crackdowns, and um, and there's a couple things I want to add to that
1: uh, this afternoon.
3: But um, what what do you see in that list that, yeah. that are flags? Well, for the, you? Scape,
1: the scapegoating of minorities is something that's worked so well in this country, unfortunately.
3: Oh, from the and, from the beginning, right. I started with Native Americans.
1: Of course, uh, and, and, and and by the a, way, the media was always a part of that. The mainstream yep. media. Um, there's an incredible book by, by Juan Gonzalez called uh, tell all the people and it's the history of race and media in the country so what Trump is used doing with his right-wing media echo chamber is not new Um, there's this myth in journalism schools that when uh, you know minorities were victims of lynch mobs and Chinese immigrants are being attacked in in California that the media was insensitive to or looking away from racism no in most cases, the mainstream media were whipping up the lynch mobs. Hmm. So I, I think you're right to emphasize, especially the scapegoating. Uh, it's something that's fertile territory. Uh, George Bush, too, didn't really do it. You know, he say Muslims. You know, he, he wasn't a Muslim basher. He wasn't Bush an immigrant. Jr.? Yeah, I, I didn't hmm. see him as a. I mean, his policies were awful in the Middle East. Right. But he would always say Islam is a religion. We respect all religions. There, there's something that's changed here. Mm-hmm. And it's Trump going back to into the darkest periods of American history, of U.S. history, which is that scapegoating. And well, unfortunately, he's got an echo chamber in the media to help him.
3: Yesterday was the anniversary of uh, Donald Trump, or excuse, excuse me, Fred Trump, Donald's father, being arrested at a Klan rally in, yeah. in uh, Jamaica, in New, York, in New York City. And
1: our great, uh, one of the great, you know, there's always been two Americas, the America mm-hmm. of racism and the America of justice. Right. And, you know, Woody Guthrie was a tenant of Fred Trump. And Woody Guthrie. Yeah. And Woody Guthrie penned a a great song song with Fred Trump in the lyrics because he knew Trump was a racist. Now, you know, Woody from Oklahoma, a white guy who fought racism his whole life. And he's there near the end of his life. He's living in New York City and he sees that his landlord is a racist dog. And that's Donald Trump's dad. Are there any Are there any recordings of that song? It, I don't think it was put to music, but yeah, the lyrics are online. Oh, yeah. People want the I'd, lyrics. I yeah. read them on the air. Yeah, I don't think it was ever put to music. There was a lot of, he wrote a lot of lyrics. So did Dylan. But he wrote a lot of lyrics that were never put to music. And you know, the great singer from England, the radical, the progressive singer, uh, Billy Bragg, right. has taken a lot of those lyrics and put them to music. Unfortunately, not the Fred Trump one. Uh, we got to work on them. Yeah, we'll be right back. Welcome back to this, this hour brought to you by
3: GetQuip, Q-U-I-P slash Tom. We're talking with Jeff Cohen, the media critic and lecturer, founder of the Park Center for Independent Media, co-founder of Fair, uh, FAIR Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, excuse me, the founder, co-founder of RootsAction.org. So, uh, Jeff, the uh, let's talk about this movie. That, yeah. that, I mean, you're here for a reason. AllGovernmentsLie.com is the website. Tell us about this.
1: Uh, All Governments Lie, Truth, Deception, and the Spirit of I.F. Stone. It's a documentary that I co-produced, and it, uh, it talks about government deceivers, but more importantly, journalists throughout modern history who've exposed government deceit and corporate deceit. And so it's a movie that stars Amy Goodman and Nermeen Shaikh from Democracy Now. We got the Young Turks in there. We got Jeremy Scahill and Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept, which is so important. We have Tom Eaglehart from Tom Dispatch. We got Michael Moore in there. We got Carl Bernstein. And I think the L.A. Times, their reference was a damning indictment of mainstream media. But it's really a celebration of independent media. Mm-hmm. Tom, I listen to your show day after day. I mean, there is something that's happened in the last 15, 20 years, and that's been a boom in independent media, non-conglomerated media, independent voices, voices of the working class and the middle class. Uh, And that's really sort of a new thing. I mean, we've always had government deception. We've always had right-wing disinformation and propaganda in the mainstream media. But what's really boomed, and you've been part of it in the last 15 or 20 years, is independent media and I teach the history of independent media and journal you know I have have taught it for 10 years at Ithaca College in the journalism department and this really is a historic thing now it'll come to an end or it'll be really curtailed if Comcast Verizon at and working with Trump's Federal Communications Commission is able to end net neutrality because Whether you're on radio or you're a muckraking author or you make documentaries, the Internet has been key to the boom in independent media. And it's not a surprise that that offends, that that irritates big conglomerates. And um, it's not something you'll hear on MSNBC. Uh, Comcast is the owner of NBC and MSNBC. They talk about the Russian assault on our democracy every hour. They call it breaking news, and they do the same thing they did the hour before, but it's always breaking news. What I'd love to see is 10 minutes among the 24-7 about how Russia is destroying our democracy and focus on U.S. conglomerates and U.S. corporate assaults on our democracy because the major threat to press freedom today is not that Trump calls reporters bad names. It's that they are working hand in glove to end net neutrality. So that's sort of the gist of the movie, All Governments Lie. It's a celebration of independent media. I'll be in uh, Portland on Sunday, June 3rd. We're going to screen the movie, the documentary, All Governments Lie at 6.30. And then after that, I'll be doing a Q&A. It's the first Unitarian Church here it's in Portland. Sh- it's a great church. Yeah, and I don't know. The sponsors include KBOO and the first Unitarian Church, uh social justice committee but after we show the movie this sunday at 6 30 we'll have a q a on anything about media or politics mm-hmm. that sounds fascinating yeah that yeah, yeah. Really i mean i've been doing a tour of your great state uh salem corvallis ashland eugene Florence. Did you get over to the coast? Yeah, Florence. Well, I got the closest was to Florence. The state is so beautiful. It is. And then, uh, of course, you don't pump your own gas. There's no toll roads. Uh, I've been driving a small car so I don't burn too much fossil fuel. But I mean, to meet peace and justice activists throughout the great state of Oregon and to see this churn that's happening, they're trying to flip one of these Republican congressional districts. It's pretty exciting. And many of these people, they're listening to your show on some of their community stations. Yeah, X-Ray FM yep. in Portland. And so, I mean, I uh, it's sort of exciting to be in Oregon. There's always activism here. There's independent media here. Uh, there's independent newspapers here uh, in Florence and Eugene, pretty new uh, community radio stations. Uh, so it's very exciting for me always. And I have family in, uh, in Mount Hood, so oh. it's always great to be out here. Okay. Yeah.
3: You know, they just discovered, like... 10, 15 years ago, that that's still an active volcano.
1: No, you had to <laughs> just when I'm, I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so elo- I'm waxing eloquent about Oregon, and you have to tell me that. No, it, well, it's yeah.
3: kind of I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I hope it doesn't yeah. blow up. Yeah. But, uh, so anyhow, we we have a little less than a minute left yeah. here. What's what's the main message that you'd like to leave
1: people with? Celebrate independent media. Support it. Support free speech TV. Uh, I do the annual Izzy Award where we mm. give away awards for Outstanding Achievement in Independent Media, and it's broadcast every year on Free Speech TV. Mm. Support Pacifica, support community radio. It's not enough to listen to Tom Hartman or watch Tom and Hartman. If, if I may add, yeah. by the
3: way, we are on commercial radio stations, right. for-profit oh, yeah. radio stations that are locally owned.
1: Yeah, in Chicago. Oh, yeah
3: in Minneapolis yeah. around support the
1: those stations you know, too. Right. When you hear
3: an advertiser, right. call them up and say thanks for advertising on KTNF or WCTG or whatever Maybe may be.
1: If you hear independent media and it you're getting it of course, of course. If there are commercial stations carrying the Tom Hartman show, let them know you're listening. Spread the word about the Tom Hartman show on social media. There's so much that activists can do to support independent media and independent voices. It's not enough just to educate yourself. Uh, You've got to get active.
3: Jeff Cohen, our website, jeffcohen.org and allgovernmentslie.com. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. We'll be back.
2: You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925.
3: I will be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you as we uh, roll down the final stretch of the show today. Mark in Seattle listening on KBCS. Hey, Mark, what's up?
4: Hi, Tom. Glad to speak to you, and thanks for doing great work. Thank you. I'd like to recount a personal story about media control of the story. It goes back a bit. Uh, In the early 2000s, we were living in New York, um, largest media market in the country. We went to Toronto for a benefit concert. And this was a benefit that was organized by people in Toronto and got some really major acts to play for free to raise money for the healthcare workers who were either killed or injured from the avian flu virus that was transported to Toronto. And if you remember, there were a few dozen people who died, and many families were implicated, uh, impacted heavily by this. Mm-hmm. The concert was larger than Woodstock. Oh. And I went to the original Woodstock, so I know what a big concert is like. It right. was really amazing. It was great music. It raised millions of dollars. We came back to America. Totally elated about this great event and the possibilities that it represented for raising money in a, in a, in a way like this. Nothing. Nothing. Mm. It was barely covered in the American media at all. And here we were in another major North American city a few hundred miles away. We couldn't believe it. It was a real wake-up call to what gets covered and what doesn't. Yeah. That's what I wanted to share.
3: Yeah, there was no way for any, any of those on. big media corporations to make a buck off it. And there was nothing salacious about it. You didn't have Hell's Angels pulling knives and, and, and taking people down, right?
4: And that's a really good, uh, really good contrast in what gets covered, and stuff yeah. like that, or the big money-making music festivals like Coachella, and you know what I mean, and other stuff yeah. like that. Bernie, Man. Uh, they yeah. get a lot. Oh yeah, you know, there's a few hundred thousand people, but this was an amazing event, and I just want to say uh, we really do have to be wary of uh, of the messaging, and I do really believe this is a a slow mo fascist takeover here. It's been going on for a long time with Fox News, or as I call it, fog noise, as the uh, as a, the background setter and we're seeing it, we've got to act really strongly or stay together.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. Mark, thank you for the call. Very well said. Thanks for listening to KBCS. Dave, listening on SiriusXM in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up?
5: Yeah, hey, not too much, Tom. Hey, I want to ask uh, if you have an opinion on a subject that I know I think is not getting a fair enough attention in the media, but it has to do with the South China Sea. Intentions with the United States.
1: All oh, right,
3: we like sailed. We planet. sailed a, a, a battleship or, or a cruiser or something in, near one of the Spratly Islands, and and uh, the Chinese protested. These are these are uh, this this is territory that is claimed by several different countries: Japan, I believe, Taiwan, uh, certainly China, and the U.S. says that it's international territory. But China is building on these islands and saying this is ours, and this could be a really really dangerous flashpoint. And it looks like Trump yeah, backed and- down.
5: Yeah. And, you know, when I called you uh, like a, a month ago and I was talking about this this military paper written by this colonel where he was talking about terms of art mm-hmm. and how important that is. But, you, but real quick, I mean, to the point you, you see, this just triggers automatic action. That is troubling to me. Like, all right, what China sees is territorial integrity and really just uh, self-defense. Right. By keeping a ba- What they want to do is keep an aircraft carrier group at standoff range because they know they don't have any de- the technology or the defenses to stop a carrier group once it gets so close. And um but what we, we call that aerial denial and freedom of, of maneuver violations and you know and basically China has moved like their their one strategic bombing, bomber the uh Jian H6K, they've moved that into the area and And um, they've moved a lot of anti-ship cruise missiles into the area. And and frankly, you know, we we kicked them out of RIMPAC, the big naval exercise. Um, And apparently they might, I mean, I don't know, but Russia has a large naval exercise going on this year. And China might participate with Russia in a huge naval exercise, and it's really getting tense, Tom. And in these tariffs, I don't know if these tariffs are connected or not. What do you think? I don't
3: know. The the tariffs, I think, are a genuine effort on the part of uh, the Trump administration to keep his campaign promise that he was going to undo these bad trade deals. And uh, it's the one area where I actually agree with Donald Trump. And, and it's something that he stole from progressive Democrats, progressive Democrats ever since 92, when uh, Bill Clinton moved the Democratic Party into an anti-tariff party, into a, uh, a so-called free trade globalism party. Um, a lot of progressives, a lot of Democrats have always disagreed with that. Well, I, you know, going back to the 70s, really, in the 80s, and, uh, you know, when, when uh, Japanese cars started eating Detroit's lunch, uh, you know, Louise and I lived in, in Michigan until 1978, and we saw this happen. And uh, this this kind of long long death of the American manufacturing sector, and you know I'm all in favor of bringing back uh, manufacturing. So I think that that's what's going on there. Although he's having to do it in a very weird way because he wants to keep that billion that uh, half a billion dollars that the Chinese government gave to the Trump Hotel in Indonesia, and the, what is a 14 patents I think that his daughter got so that she can make uh, tens of millions of dollars in the Chinese markets, in profits and stuff like that. So you know it, the the Trump crime family is so corrupt that even when they keep a campaign promise, they figure out a way to hustle us all you know, in, the, in that context, which is very problematic. But Dave, I don't see those tariffs as a war-provoking flashpoint. I do think, though, that this realignment that's happening of China and Russia versus the United States um, could be very problematic, particularly with a World War I kind of scenario where some small thing someplace starts triggering mutual defense treaties. This could be a real disaster. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com.